You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. 100%. Where are you guys located? I'm Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Nice. Wisco, representing. Oh, yeah. Mi- I'm Minneapolis, not- Minnesota. Sweet, guys. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, I'm a Wisconsin native. How about native. you? Yeah, grew up actually in uh, Green Bay. What? <laughs> yeah, you did. Fist bump. Bam. Let's go. What high school did you go to? I uh, went to uh, East Appear High School. And then I went to okay, um, I went to Southwest. I graduated from Southwest. Oh, nice! So Green Bay, all right. Mm-hmm. No, I'm from Green Bay. Green Bay, yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, you're a liar. Uh, you're from De Pere. You're it's, it's true. Techni- yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You're not actually a Packer, <laughs> Packer fan. So how does that work with uh, being in Minneapolis? Are you still true to the the Packer? Of course I am. Of nice. course I am. Yeah. That's- There's a lot of us here. There's a lot of us here. Where do you live now? Uh, so right now, um, so yeah, basically after grad school, I went to uh, Madison for grad school. Um, just kind of hopped all over. I was, I was in Milwaukee for a while. I mean, I was in uh, Miami for a while, working at a uh, performance facility called Bomberito Performance, where we worked with like NFL and MLB guys primi- primarily. Um, and then eventually moved to uh, New York City. I was there for about seven years. My wife was going through uh, grad school and some other things. And then, yeah, about uh, two and a half years ago, we. Um, we settled in Scottsdale, Arizona. So right now I'm uh, joined the join the sun over here. <laughs> Still kind of debating, you know, what's the next move? But um, yeah, it's it's beautiful here. Hmm, that's very different than Green Bay. <laughs> yeah, 100. Yeah, percent Very, yeah. very much so. Yeah. You guys had a few people from Wisconsin. I don't know. If, like we have reciprocity with Arizona, don't we? School wise, at least we did back in the day, like for college. And so you'd always have like, oh, five or 10 from each high school go down to Arizona. Did you guys experience that? And then like people would stay. We have Minnesota as well. Yeah, you Minnesota mean, as well. Yeah, they have reciprocity with Madison, I believe. I thought so. Yeah, so, yeah, I think, yeah, right. Minnesota's definitely has that kind of bi-directional for sure. So how did this conversation come to be, fellas? Bracken? Slid into the DMs. Which is almost a guarantee that nothing happens because I don't check most of those things ever. But it worked. The one day on a on a training Tuesday, I don't know if you know this, but Kirk and I were talking. I said, Hey, I got an email this morning. And let me just read off the at the end of your email, you listed off 16, I believe, topics that you either are passionate about or feel are under addressed or misinterpreted in our realm. And I started reading them off and Kirk goes, I don't hate it. I don't hate that. I, okay. I think I really like, we should, we should say yes. <laughs> so just your, your topic <laughs> list was enough that let's roll with it. That was a seller. Nice. That's good to yeah. know. Yeah. I've, I've, I've kind of reached out to, I was doing some research into some, um, you know, I've listened to, you know, a handful of your guys's previous episodes. So I've got, I've been a podcast, you know, dude, since, I don't know, 2010, kind of, I guess, a relatively early adopter, just a listener. And, um, 
you know, I've been since I've kind of, you know, I launched Movement Fault in 2018 and it's just been always on my list, A, to start my own podcast, but it's like, all right, I got this, 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 this to do. Um, but anyways, yeah, uh, very close to that. Um, and then at the same time, you know, just reaching out to some, um, some podcasts, some, some amazing, uh, podcasts like your guys, uh, platform, um, that I think can offer some, like I said, actionable tips to your audience. So yeah, reach out to you guys and, um, yeah, here we are. So definitely pumped to, uh, to explore. Now you set the bar high. Your subject line said action packed podcast and this, this, this sets an expectation now. I'm excited for action today. Hey man, you never know what's going to happen. I got like, there's going to be someone jumping out of the wall, you know, like. Yeah, well, I'm so excited for that. Don't give it all away now. Yeah, we'll, we'll hide that. <laughs> well, in case, so I suppose we should probably tell you who we're talking to, right? That would be helpful. Uh, Dr. Grayson Wickham, Wickham, right? One of the two. Um, doctor of physical therapy. Now that we know you live in Arizona, um, how long have you been a doctor of physical therapy? So I've been practicing for about 10 years now. Um, and yeah, like I said, I had a practice in, um, actually I didn't even know we were recording, but let's, that's what we're doing is <laughs> we just, I yeah, oh, I had, we roll in, I snuck that in, pick up oh, okay. whenever it felt right to start. Yeah. The final nice. episode picks up wherever it starts being good. Right on, right on. Yeah, so um, so about a decade um, previous to that, I've been, I've always been into you know health and fitness, kind of a uh, even more so like human movement um, since I can remember, and um, yeah, like I said, I was working with uh, professional athletes, major league baseball players, NFL uh, players, you know, from the literally elite NFL Super Bowl MVP to you know kind of the mid tier kind of guys, you know, some, some professional tennis players mixed in there. And then, uh, started my own practice in New York city, um, had the practice for about seven years and worked with basically everyone, you know, everyone from, you know, high level athletes, but mainly kind of the quote unquote everyday people. So that's, and that's kind of my sweet spot per se. Like, you know, working with professional athletes is amazing. You know, trying to get that one, two, 3% extra in performance, help them obviously decrease injury risk, et cetera. But when it comes down to really impacting, you know, the, the everyday runner, obviously, you know, this is the, the running Republic podcast or the everyday CrossFitter, or, uh, you, you fill in the blank, helping that person, you know, decrease their three or four out of 10 back pain or knee pain. Uh, they may have tried X, X and X. They may have gone to this practitioner, this practitioner, still struggling with that pain and just turning their wheels, uh, for me to be able to step in and help them get to the root cause of their pain and injury, which, you know, a lot of times, most times is, is tight muscles and tight joints. And we can kind of dive into, you know, what causes tight muscles and tight joints, et cetera. But that's really what, uh, you know, fills my heart. Um, and really is my passion is, is really making an impact in, you know, 98% of the, the population out there, you know, um, the, the, prof the professional athletes is cool, but um, that's where I'm, I'm kind of at. What led you, to, you said always movement has intrigued you, but what led you to that? When we first start consuming things, think like sports, different pieces of sport jump out to different viewers, but what led you to being obsessed with movement in particular? Yeah, it was basically, you know, a combination, I guess, um, 
you know, just being introduced to working out in general. Uh, my dad was in the military, so, you know, I'd always see him running and working out. He got me the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, encyclopedia bodybuilding when I was in like third grade. So that's this big old <laughs> thick Bible. And, uh, you know, so I'm like, you know, looking at that and he's talking about like, that was his oh, gift to you in third grade. The Arnold yeah, yeah. Schwarzenegger and yeah, that was, I think that was a, a birthday present or a Christmas present, one of the two. But it's like it was like stuffed teddy bear or Arnold Schwarzenegger's book of muscle. Arnold's book <laughs> of muscle. That's amazing. Let's do it. We're gonna chisel this guy out. Um, yes. <laughs> so that was um, you know so that kind of like piqued my interest, obviously, and um, just. You know, like you said, you can look at different aspects of sport, um, whether you're seeing these guys on the on the field. Oh, man, you know, they're so jacked. Um, they're so strong. They're so athletic. Um, but then breaking it down. Yeah, being strong is cool. But uh, being athletic is what's going to separate, say, you know, the the high school player from the college player and the college player to the, um, you know, to the professional. And then once you're in the league, you know, whether whatever league it is, all right, what's going to separate you from being, you know, the top 10% or, you know, the bottom 90. And it just really comes down to, you know, to put a blanket statement is athleticism. Um, for the most part, obviously there's, there's a whole bunch of different factors. And so that comes down to, there's a lot of different uh, pieces to athleticism. A big piece is, is movement and what we call proprioception, body awareness. Um, and so we can obviously extrapolate this into the everyday person, but if we're talking about the athlete, you know, athleticism, I need to be able to be running full speed as fast as I can while tracking a ball, while you know, viewing my peripherals, who's coming at me. So there's a lot of different things going on at the same time. It's not just running a fast 40 or, you know, benching 225 for 25 reps. Um, so I just started kind of analyzing those things, you know, just watching whether it's, you know, my dog move. Um, I just was kind of in a weird way, kind of interested in just like movement in general, what's the difference between a dog moving and the human moving and all these things. So as it progressed, um, you know, obviously got into PT school and, uh, I studied, uh, exercise science, kinesiology in undergrad. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a little bit of the journey. It, it was it um, cross same. platform. Sorry, Kirk. We, for so you know, Grace, we have a, like a one and a half second delay across the board rises or falls between different screens. But if you cut someone off, best case is just charge through and we'll fix it in post-op roll. Yeah roll through uh is that was that across the board it was like you watched the olympics and you were downhill skiers short track speed skating like anything running were you were you nitpicking everyone's form or or or, or seeing movement patterns from the start or did it start in one small spectrum and then grow as your understanding grew yeah, definitely grew. Um, it was kind of, you know, just, just kind of watching again, movement as a broad whole, you know, the difference between, you know, my grandma walking versus my dad walking and then, you know, me walking per se, and then interpreting that I played baseball early on, uh, some basketball. And so I was obviously watching more baseball, more basketball. So I was honing in on that. But like you said, as my, um, my bandwidth kind of expanded and I started watching, more types of movement, like you said, the Olympics, et cetera, then, you know, kind of adding those different uh, layers onto my, 
I guess you call it analysis. Um, and that happened over time. You know, it's not like I was in third grade trying to make, you know, kinesiology joint assessments. Mm -hmm. And um, so that, that was more later in life, but. No, in third grade, you were barbell bench pressing and doing Arnold presses. Watching busy pump doing and that iron. stuff. <laughs> Just, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, I'm just first. This is a personal curiosity since you said you're from Green Bay. Um, I just want to know if we were circling the same waters at the same time. So, did you play sports in high school or back in the day? Do you have an athletic background? And then, how old are you? Because I'm just uh, curious if we were like at Bayshore Mall together or something random. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, dabbled in in sports. I, I didn't pursue it as long as maybe I should have. So yeah, um, the high school sport journey ended um, rather abruptly, uh, focusing more on, you know, other things, academics. I wanted to go to med school at one point, um, you know, just decided not to uh, pursue that path for numerous different reasons. And I'm glad that I didn't. Um, and as far as how old am I? Just entered the 40 club this yeah. year. So fe feeling strong. Ready, ready to go. What? Well, I just turned forty-two, so I'm forty. I turned forty also, so I'm forty as well. Uh, and I came across a clip of you uh, talking about um, uh, catering to the forty-year-olds. I watched about a five-minute or audio clip of you, so I figured we'd get into that. I assumed you were around that age, um, but I was class of two thousand one. I'm assuming you were somewhere close then, probably two thousand two. I'm guessing if you just entered. Yeah, we were. Uh, I think we just missed each other in the uh, the sphere of the Green Bay area because I'm 2001 as well. Okay, ships <laughs> passing that. in the night. It's just super adorable of us. Um, okay, I just wanna I wanna rip the bandaid off with two things. With this, like we're gonna. Oh, Bracken, I see you want to you want to interject with something, but I just want to dive right no, into I don't. the weeds immediately. I'm just moving. Okay, I switched. Kirk knows already. Oh, you're in that standing desk. That's right. I forget week, about that. Two weeks ago, I started moving to standing more throughout the day. As I've spent, I've upped my work hours since the kids, kids went back to school, which has increased my sitting hours. And so I'm trying to do all podcasts standing now. And I'm going to be constant movement on your screen because I don't have a, I don't have the stay power <laughs> to stand for two hours yet. I'm a baby for this. So I'm working on it. I love that. I always tell people, people always ask me, you know, what's the best posture to be in? You know, like when I'm sitting, is it standing, you know, when I'm working, when I'm, you know, sitting on the couch and I tell people the best position is the next position. So mm -hmm. like always, obviously mm -hmm. you don't want to just kind of be moving here. Cause I'm, I'm standing as well. Like if we're just sitting here all the time, I'm like eating my food. I mean, that's going to be pretty weird. Right. Um, but the thing is, is yeah, is standing better than sitting? 100%. Why is that? Because most people, when they're sitting, they're sitting in a standard chair, right? Mm -hmm. Like 90 degree hip angle, 90 degree uh, knee angle. That's going to put the, the hip flexors in a shortened position. It's going to put the hamstrings in a shortened position. Even more so is people are using their backrests. And so they're using their backrest way too often. And so when we use the backrest, essentially our core musculature around our midsection. So you know, our back muscles, as well as our ab muscles, internal obliques, those muscles just essentially get to turn off for the most part. Your, your back rest is now being your core musculature. And over time, our body adapts to that. Our body adapts to any stimulus for the most part, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you eat Big Macs 
three times a week, your body's going to adapt to that. If you run 10 miles a day, you know, obviously, hopefully you're recovering, your body's going to adapt to that, et cetera, et cetera. And so our body adapts to the positions that we spend the most time in. And are you going to turn into a hunchback, you know, overnight? No, it's going to take some time to kind of set in. Is it going to be a week? Is it going to be a month? It's going to be a year. It's going to take, you know, time again to, to set in. But when we're using our, our, our backrests, you know, we're, we're essentially, our core is not doing what it needs to do anymore. So we're Mm -hmm. just kind of slumped over. And over time, that's going to lead to deficits and suboptimal core activation, uh, as well as weakness. You know, a lot of people just think, oh man, I have a weak core. Um, you know, just due to the the hundreds of thousands of patients I've worked with, it's yeah, weak core is part of it. But another thing is in order to, to really move well and have optimal joint mobility, you also need to have very good, uh, muscle activation. And it's not to say, I'm not saying that you're, you're not able to activate your core anymore because, you know, if that's, that were the case, you wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. sit up straight or stand up straight. You'd just be a, you know. A, a blob. Uh, but there is a piece where people lose that optimal activation, sp- specifically on the deep uh, core muscles, as well as the muscles in the back. So I give you a huge thumbs up for, you know, standing and, um, and just with the same thing too, like, obviously like standing up is a better posture, having kind of a straight back, you know, not slumping forward, not rounding our shoulders, you know, just being straight up is, is a better position. But if I were just to stand straight up, you know, like chest up, uh, neck back, straight back, and I wasn't moving at all. And I was doing that for eight hours a day, that would be just as bad, you know, because we're, we're in that fixed position. We need to switch it up. I always tell people, if you can sit on the ground for a little bit of time, if you can, um, even if you're sitting, say in a chair, switch up your positions, cross one leg, cross the other, straighten one leg, straighten the other leg. Um, is it okay to look down at your phone for a few minutes, multiple times a day? Yeah, hundred percent. But to sit down, you know, flexed over, you know, chin, chin, almost touching your hands. And you're like in this position, you see kids nowadays that are, you know, obviously they, they come out, um, of the womb with the iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, you know, their whole back is, it's it's going to be interesting to see what those kids are until they get onto the Movement Vault app. Obviously, Movement Vault stretching app is going to help them undo all the things that uh, this sitting and non movement is doing. But if they don't do that, it's going to be interesting to see what their body develops. Um, say when they're forty, because um, yeah, it's not it's not looking good for uh, human movement and posture. So, long no, answer. Not. I love the standing desk. Good. I made a few changes. I've gone to elevated feet half the time when I'm sitting down to change that hip angle and standing more often. But the problem is Kirk and I are on like what, 300, this is right around 380, our number of episodes together. And he knows all my tells. So when I lean a certain way, it's because I'm usually about to say something. And now I'm just moving because I get stiff if I stand for more than a few minutes. So Kirk has to relearn all my mannerisms. It's true. It's like the podcast dance. You well, guys are, uh... you, you guys hear some static all of a sudden? Is it? Yeah, you yeah. Do. I think it's. I think it's me here. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, what's going? Well, on? I mean, that's better. Oh, give me one second here. Then it being one of us. You mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a bug zapper. 
Oh, better. I'm going to take the opportunity to. This is really strange because I've uh, I've recorded, I don't know, five podcasts in the last few weeks, and this has never happened. So I really apologize for that. That's okay. We're certainly not perfect over here. Tell you that much. How's your two weeks off coming? Monday six. Um, really starting to feel like a purse. Like I'm having more energy. Oh, like yeah? I'm getting more sleep. Like I might roll to two weeks. Yeah, I'm at day Good. six. Um, I've been tired. I didn't realize how tired I was. All if right. I'm being honest. I think we're so. Yeah, we sound good. Yeah, we're rocking now. Sound like you put us into a bug zapper Apologies and we were that, just guys. sitting there. Can you hear us? <laughs> yeah, perfect. Okay. Um, I forgot what I was going to say, but I will I will note, I mean, that just came up. First of all, if you two elitists want to have your own standing podcast, I am seated. So <laughs> if there's any issues here, let me know. First of all, okay. I want to be clear. But here I am, hunched at my desk. Who say <laughs> I stand all day long? Drive me nuts. Because it becomes like their thing, and everyone else is below them. But mm -hmm. I'm going to become that person for you, Kirk. I'm going to start every conversation with the benefits of my standing. <laughs> all right. Well, it's thankfully, like, I have a job outside uh, of this. That uh, yes. No, I was going to say, I saw a, um, like a meme the other day with, uh, you know, you got like the standing, like treadmill desk nowadays, mm -hmm. which that's like, obviously next level. That's like the person, like one upping the standing desk person. But, uh, I saw the person with the, it's the, the treadmill, but they're sitting. So they're kind of just like, doing oh, nice. like a, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. At what point are you just stealing company time? Like if I set up a Peloton or if I set up my incline trainer. Or I put dumbbells at my desk. Okay, at what point do you cross the line from I'm doing this for that my health so I can work better to I'm just exercising on the clock? It's a very good point. Yeah, that's uh, you know that's a uh, I guess a question that the the HR team would have to kind of parse out. Uh, we've got we've got a, a program called uh, Movement Vault for Work in Groups. So that's within the app. It's our it's our B. It's called B2B offering within our, our platform. And we actually have desk routines. Mm -hmm. So we literally have routines that are designed for people to perform at their desk. So it's anywhere from four to six minute little, little what we call movement fault minis. And um, yeah, it's been a game changer for, for a lot of uh, companies. But yeah, there's obviously, uh, you know, if you're doing, you're doing your Peloton and you're pumping, you got your, you know, dumbbells. That's, uh, that's, that's next level, I guess, right? Well, my philosophy is if you're not sitting, you're not working. So both of you are stealing company time. So, um, all right. One of your 16 bullet points, uh, Dr. Wickham was, uh, where is it? Uh, is sitting really the new smoking? So obviously you feel passionate about this subject. I read that verbatim, by the way. Yeah. So um, there was a study that came out in 2014, 15 uh, at a Harvard, and it basically looked at you know, lots and lots of data. And, um, you know, it basically correlated with the more time you spend sitting and sedentary, that's going to correlate with basically all the worst health outcomes, cardiovascular disease, uh, stroke. I mean, you name it, 
Um, and so actually, I believe it was one of the uh, the researchers in that study coined the term, or maybe it was a, someone that coined the term, you know, sitting is the new smoking. It kind of blew up the internet a little bit and like, oh man, like, you know, what happens when I'm sitting and I'm smoking? You know, that's, that's the next question. Two negatives. <laughs> Cancel each other out. Right. Net, po <laughs> net positive. If you're going to sit, you better be lighting up. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Especially when you start to bring in the cigar, you know, that's yep. the, the pipe. Um, yeah, that's a whole. But uh, but yeah, essentially. So okay. um, But yeah, get, getting serious on the topic though, um, it, it basically just kind of leads into what we were talking about before. Um, you know, is sitting the absolute worst thing in the world? No, it's not. Uh, humans, you know, I'm pretty sure have evolved to have times and periods where they had to build things, climb things, move, walk, change locations. You know, throughout our our evolutionary journey. But there was also times where we were sitting, you know, obviously it's, you know, the, the caveman or the cave person, hunter and gatherer wasn't standing all day, wasn't moving all day. The question is, were they sitting in a man-made chair? Um, mm -hmm. Like we talked about before, there's many um, negative, I guess, outcomes that come from spending too much time in the chair, again, using the backrest. So I say, yes, sitting is not the new smoking if you are changing up your positions, if you're sitting on the ground, uh, which allows you to essentially use your, your core musculature more, uh, you're going to also have to use your hip mobility and stability muscles um, a lot more. You can vary your positions a lot more. You can sit in like a uh, kind of varied uh, sitting split stance. You can do one leg bent, one leg straight. You can do cross-legged. Um, and so I always, obviously, if you're, you're working at a... Um, you know, your, your company's office, you can't sit on the ground unless you're at a super progressive startup and, uh, Hey, all power, all power to you. But, um, yeah, sitting on the ground way better sitting on a chair. Yeah. Maybe we would equate that with the new smoking. Um, but standing obviously has its benefits. Um, so I think, you know, there was a little bit going too hard on sitting as the new smoking, uh, back in, you know, 2014, 2015, but, um, Again, just really cementing it in for the users. I'm, I'm, I'm all about um, not sitting in the man-made chair using the backrest. Um, if you're not doing that, it's not the new smoking. It's, uh, it's the new whatever you want to call it. I was part of a startup at one point, and the first thing that the guy who organized it did is he gave us all copies of Supple Leopard. He's big on everything in terms of optimizing your body, and his big thing was like there. Are, there's an optimal sitting position if you have to sit. And we talk about a lot with cross training for runners. Like running's the best thing for running. But if you can't run, the next most specific sport specific non-impact cardio option is this followed by this. And then you go down the line where eventually you're exercising, but it's only helping systems is not helping the, the mechanics of running whatsoever. So do you have a ranking? Because people like, they like actionable info. Do you have a ranking of if you must sit, Here's the best way you should sit, followed by this. Do you have a general – if you have like five positions to swap through throughout the day, do you have your best version and then a hierarchy of any sort? Yeah. So the best version would be, you know, it's, I would say they're kind of like tied per se. Um, if I had to rank them, um, what's going to be achievable for most people is going to be sitting on the ground, you know, or, or we could even say we'll, we'll take that back. The most achievable would be to – be sitting in your chair because again, you might be at your office. Um, if you're at home, it's kind of like no excuses type of deal. Cause you can get one of these little 
laptop stands on Amazon for 20 or 30 bucks. You can, you know, fold up a, a blanket and sit on the ground. Uh, no excuses there. Uh, so that would be the best if you have an option to sit on the ground. Cause again, you can, you can vary your position so much. And like I said, the, the best position is the next position you want to switch up because when you, when you have one leg straight, one leg bent, and then you switch that, you go cross-legged, that all changes the demands on the body. And we always want to switch it up. Um, so that would be number one. But if you are stuck sitting in a man-made chair at your desk, just don't use that backrest. That's like, boom, that's, that's the, the number one thing. Um, you know, I have people kind of do two things. Um, it's kind of like a thought experiment. Uh, one, when it comes to sitting, how much time are they using their backrest just to, you know, have them become aware of it. If they live in a city where they have to drive, are you using your backrest the entire time when you're driving? Um, are you using your backrest at work when you go home and you start to Netflix and chill or using your backrest the whole time? So you add up that time that you're really not using your core musculature and it's, it's a lot of time. It's most of your time. And then the second thought experiment is how much time are you spending that is either not sitting or not laying down? And so obviously, hope, hopefully people are getting six to nine hours of sleep. Um, you know, they're again, probably sitting, driving in their car, or maybe they're in a city where they're taking a train, um, sitting on their couch, sitting at work. So even if they're doing say half hour run a day, an hour run a day, they're going to the gym for an hour a day. Um, still, when they add that up, we're talking 21 hours. Even if we include the time that we're walking, you know, to and from our car, walking in the kitchen, cooking, we're talking like 21 hours of either sitting or laying down, you know, maybe it's 22, maybe it's 20. It's a lot. Um, and so that's another thought experiment. So, um, for the listeners out there, you can kind of do that, do that little piece. And that'll really kind of wake you up like, man, I'm, you know, not using my body as it really should be used. Um, so yeah, sitting on the ground, probably number one. Um, if you're at your, your desk, don't use that backrest. Number two, standing amazing. Um, should you do it for, eight to 10 hours straight? Yeah, probably not, especially right out the gate because you know your body needs to adjust to that. If you're not used to standing up all the time, uh, that could lead to you know back pain. You could be overarching your whole back the whole day. It could lead to foot pain. So you need to obviously progress into that. Just like if you want to start running and you're like, man, you know, I'm, I have the goal of running the, the New York City Marathon um, or whatever your city marathon is. Um, you're not going to jump out of the gate with a 10 mile run on your first run. <laughs> um, hopefully, um, mm. you know, progressing into it, building up your, your, um, your adaptability and your resilience in the tissues, um, such as your ligaments, your muscles, your joints, um, et cetera. So that, that's probably the top three. And then when you're standing, I mean, there's, it's, it's beautiful because like right now I'm kind of in a wide legged stance. Um, you know, I can do the stance kind of like balancing on one foot type of deal, um, switch, switch legs that way. I can go one leg in front, one leg in back. So all these things change the demands on your body. Um, and so that's why standing, standing is definitely a number three. And then, yeah, obviously you can get crazy with it, get the, the treadmill desks, you know, how, how practical is that? You know, is, is that really creating like a, a flow state for your work environment? Is that just creating a little bit of distraction? Um, who knows with that? So let's follow this um, logic. And I like to play devil's advocate once in a while. Um, and I'm the one sitting here. So uh, is sleeping as detrimental for your core health as sitting is? 
Because what's being engaged when we're sleeping? Should we avoid that too, doctor? You know, um, I'm a huge proponent in sli- of sleep. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We want to, uh, yeah, hopefully your core musculature is not, uh, you know, engaging. When I say engagement too, I'm not talking about like, you know, performing a Valsalva maneuver or just, you know, flexing mm. your, your core musculature all day. Um, it's, it's a very low level of engagement to, you know, create that stability around your low back. Because at the end of the day, if we look at, you know, first principles of certain muscles, certain muscle groups, what is your core even there for? It's, it's really there to protect your low back. So what is in your low back or even your back in general? Well, you got a spinal, spinal column, right? Each individual vertebrae stacking up on top of each other. Okay. What does that do? What's in the middle of the back? It's your spinal cord. What happens if your spinal cord gets damaged? It's going to be really tough uh, to obviously move and um, for you to just survive as a human. Um, Now, there's a lot of things that can be done, but so essentially your core musculature is there to protect your low back, which then protects your your spinal cord, uh, your central nervous system. And so, yeah, having, um, if we want to call it optimal, we'll just say good, right? Like having good core activation, core strength is, is pretty paramount and fundamental for just, you know, being a, being a, a human as it is, but yeah, you don't want to be, uh, you know, you want to be relaxed obviously when you're sleeping and, uh, you know, it's kind of depending on your, okay. your phenotype six to nine hours is, uh, is pretty solid. All right. So in this, um, I'll go ahead, Kirk. Well, I wanted, well, I wanted to follow up with one, Do he it. mentioned something when you so rudely stepped away, uh, the audience is... didn't know that until you brought it up. <laughs> you're right. Um, so you mentioned something about, let's say I go to the gym every day and I run every day or every other day or whatever it is. The logic might tell you, cause some people work in an office and they, and we don't plan on like, this isn't like a podcast about sitting, by the way, guys, we're going to move on to other topics, but it's of interest cause most of us have to. And so, um, can you offset it? Like I say, okay, I run roughly 60 minutes a day and I hit the gym three times a week and do strength work. So it's fine if I sit or is it really is is that not enough to let's say compensate for the lack of engagement outside of the workouts itself like where's the give and take there i think is what i'm asking yeah that's the the answer that everyone loves to hear it depends um so yeah, kind of, yeah. if we if we break that down um say if you are you know sitting for 8 to 12 hours a day again you know, what's your sitting position are you using the backrest. So that's, you know, I kind of pound that one into the ground. So that's, that's the first thing. Uh, number two. Well, let's is, say the answer is yes, I'm sitting and yes, I'm using the backrest, which if I turn sideways, I know you can't see it. Uh, it's mostly yes for me. So okay. personal curiosity here. Okay. So that's going to, that's going to lead us to, if we're kind of looking at the, if this, then this, then this uh, kind of flow chart, that's going to increase what, what, what I'm going to say in a second here. So, all right. So we're using the backrest, not as good as not using the backrest. Okay. So then the second question is, okay, so we're, we're running, um, X amount of time throughout the day. Let's look at running. So running is in the, what's called the sagittal plane of motion. Uh, for the listeners, sagittal is just a fancy term for going, saying straight forward and straight back. So obviously most people are running straight forward. Maybe they're adding a little bit of um, backwards walking or, you know, backwards running, et cetera, sled pulls backwards to work different muscles. But say we're going forward. And if we look at running in general, running is 
using your hip and your ankles in a limited range of motion, right? Like, so if we look at the demands of running, how much ankle dorsiflexion and plantar flexion are we doing? How much hip flexion extension are we doing? How much hip internal and external rotation are we doing? So all these things come into play depending on your your limb lengths um, and just kind of how your your running gait is uh, personally, your your cadence, all those things come into play. But either way, you're not moving your joints through a full range of motion, right? And so going back to the statement that I made before, your body adapts to the positions you spend the most time in. If you're running all the time, not moving your joints through a full range of motion, your body's going to adapt to that. And, you know, I've worked with hundreds and, you know, obviously I don't have a, a account. We've got hundreds and thousands of uh, runners using the movement fall stretching app. I've worked with them in person. And so there is kind of a archetype, if you will, of a runner that's say not doing active stretches and not doing a whole lot of other things, which, which I'm about to mention. Um, it's the tight and weak hip flexors. It's the, um, we'll say suboptimal activation of the gluteus medius, gluteus maximus, lack of strength in those muscles as well. Tight internal and external rotation at the hip because, you know, obviously it's a limited range of motion, but we need some internal and external rotation when we're running. Um, so that's the piece there. And then if we look at, okay, so then we're strength training three times a, a week, then I would have to dive into, I mean, if we're getting really nitty gritty here, uh, what type of, of strength training are you doing? Um, are you incorporating a rotational uh, movements? Are you re, uh, incorporating side to side movements? What's, co what's called the, uh, the frontal plane. Um, so essentially we want to incorporate all planes of motion into our training and or into our day-to-day -day life. Um, and so that's really the two big things that I see as far as most people, what's causing pain and injury is a too much sitting and then B not enough uh, varied movements throughout their day, whether that's just in their day-to-day -day activities and or in the gym. Um, so when you have that, again, your body's adapting to it, that's going to lead to tight muscles and tight joints over time. Those tight muscles and tight joints then lead to joint compensations in other joints. Because if say your, your hip isn't moving like your hip should move and you go down to bend over to pick something up, well, you're either A, not going to be able to reach that thing because you just don't have the range of motion at your hip to do so, or there's going to be another joint that has to compensate for your tight hip. And you know, in this case, it's going to most likely be your low back. So your low back's going to round. Um, is your low back rounding a huge deal? No, um, your back should be able to round. Obviously, unless you're deadlifting, picking up something really heavy, you want to be in a good position to do so. But over time, that's going to lead to, um, again, compensation in your low back, which then leads to joint wear and tear in your low back. And over time, joint wear and tear then leads to pain. So it can be a repetitive process that brings on this, this uh, joint pain. It could be the low back. It could be the knees. Very applicable to runners. We can kind of talk about knee pain, how knee pain isn't the, the knee's fault. But, um, or it could be a one-off event. So if you're, again, doing the example before where I'm say I'm deadlifting or I'm picking something heavy off the ground, I don't have a, you know, good hip mobility, say my hamstrings are tight. Some of my, my glute muscles are tight. I bend over my back's super rounded. Um, I pick something up and boom, I get the, uh, the bulging disc, the herniated disc. And then that's, you know, a one-off event versus more of a repetitive event. Um, so super long answer. So, so what do you do? You know, a adding in more rotational side to side movements 
in your training on those three days that you're working out. And then number two, whether you're working mm. out, whether you're a runner, whether you're you know a BJJ practitioner, whether you hate exercise in general, we need to do some type of joint maintenance as humans, right? Because again, we're not getting enough varied movement in throughout our day. We're not rotating. We're not going side to side. And so that's where an effective active stretching program comes in. It's essentially joint maintenance. And I say, I like to give the recommendations three times a week. You don't have to spend an hour stretching, but 10 to 15 minutes, um, three times a week, performing active stretches, not static stretches is going to help you undo, you know, that, that sitting, uh, with the backrest and just, you know, not moving in those, those different ranges of motion, um, which then is going to help you prevent that, that cascade that we talked about, that compensation, joint wear and tear, and then pain and injury. Okay. I'm satisfied. I know I interrupted you, Bracken. I'm glad you followed up with that because I was going in a totally different direction. Recently, we've had end-of-year competitions happening for a lot of people. Fall marathons, uh, OCR series wrapping up, trail series culminating, which many times entails a flight or a drive. Sometimes it's just non-negotiable that I'm going to be sitting for 10 hours the day before a race. Hmm. In your opinion and with your your background here how is the how are those 10 hours best filled how do you travel where you can't sit on the floor of an airplane without making the news and if you're driving you're going to have to be i obviously yeah you're going to rotate your position in your seat a little bit and hope play with the the decline of the 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 back and all that but how do you survive day before a race i have to travel is non-negotiable Amazing question. So the first thing is, um, you say you are driving, say you are, are going on that plane for X amount of hours. Number one is performing a, a solid active stretching. Again, I keep on harping on active stretching because for the listeners, that's that's a lot different than static stretches. Static stretching has been shown to increase injury risk and decrease performance. So I always, I always repeat that one more time. So static stretching has actually been shown to increase injury risk decrease performance. And so if I ask you guys, or really if I ask anyone that has decided to take the time to stretch, what is their goal with stretching? It's usually, all right, I want to improve my flexibility. Maybe they say, I want to improve my mobility. I want to warm up before a run. I want to warm up before a, a workout. And so if we look at static stretching, um, you know, when you, especially when you do it before a workout or an athletic endeavor, increasing injury risk, decreasing performance you know, then I tell them that and they're like, whoa, what? You know, that's that's not aligning with my goals. And so that's where active stretching comes in. Um, and just to kind of, I guess, paint the picture there. So unfortunately, static stretching is what most people are doing because it's the stuff that we were taught in middle school, high school, and even, you know, sports growing up. So an example of a static stretch would be, you know, if I'm bringing my arm across my shoulder and kind of bringing it in, stretching out my my uh, shoulder muscle or for the runners, the classic one I see all the time is if we're the standing quad stretch where we're grabbing the 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 front of the ankle and kind of pulling the leg back to stretch out the, the quad and the hip flexor. So that is another static stretch or s simply like sitting on the ground or standing up with the knees bent, trying to touch the toes to stretch out the hamstrings. Again, that's a static stretch not a fan. Again, it's not just my personal taste. It's it's research and you know the hundreds and thousands of patients that I've worked with. So active stretching on the other hand is when you stretch out a muscle or a joint and then you contract those same muscles while they're stretched out. So essentially you're maximally stretching out the joint 
and then contracting and holding that contraction for a given amount of time. Um, and so going back to the the question there, um, performing, you know, whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes before you get on that plane um, and or, you know, before you get in your car, uh, if you're if you're at your car and you're say you're driving ten hours to get to that race, well, you're probably going to have to fill up your gas. So that's another great opportunity to, you know, while you're waiting for that gas um, tank to fill up, perform some more active stretches. Maybe it's only a minute, two minutes, three minutes. These things add up, and it's it's it really it really can make a difference um, when you're on the plane. You know, if you can get that aisle seat, these are just kind of like uh, some some personal tips. If you can get the aisle seat, then you're not interrupting people when you you get up um, numerous times. But if you're on a really long flight, yeah, that can um, not only, not only it's the not sitting, but it's the, the pressure changes that can also affect a lot of people, increase swelling in the ankles uh, via lymphatic, you know, kind of build up all those things. You can use some pr- uh, compression pants or shorts for that, that help. But um, you know, getting up, moving, Obviously, just walk into the bathroom, standing up if you can. Try not to be uh, that person too much, you know, that's creeping on some other, you know, someone else uh, sitting next to them. But um, like you said, you know, putting the seat back, not using the seat rest, um, and just doing some what you can do in the seat without, you know, um, bothering your neighbor. So we can rotate through the torso. Um, you know, I can I can do some shoulder shoulder blade circles. You know, really contracting. Um, my muscles in different ranges of motion, because what it comes down to is moving our joints through their full range of motion, which is when we move our joints, we need to activate muscles around a joint. And so the more often we do that through a full range of motion throughout our day, it's going to be better overall for joint mobility, joint uh, longevity. Um, So yeah, there's, there's a bunch of different uh, stretches, active muscle activation exercise that you could do even sitting without, you know, being, uh, being a disturbance to anywhere else when you're on that plane. And then again, when you get off the plane, when you get to your location, doing some more uh, active stretching and, or just, you know, going for a walk, getting the blood moving, getting the lymphatic um, fluid moving, et cetera. So yeah, is it optimal? No, but um, life's not always optimal. So we need to, uh, do what we can do and then um, check that box. And that's, that's what we can do. So you're talking movement vault minis all day long throughout um, the travel day. Yeah, obviously uh, you, you don't have to get crazy with it. Obviously, um, you know, movement's my thing, uh, preventing pain and injury, increasing performance. That's, that's really why I'm here. Um, not only on this podcast, but you know, on this earth, um, that's, that's my mission but uh but yeah i mean we can obsess over everything right we can go down crazy nutrition rabbit holes and all of a sudden it just engulfs our whole life or we can go on you know training you know rabbit holes where it engulfs our whole life and um part of the the beauty about movement fault is we take out the guesswork for you so you don't have to think about it we we have compiled this uh program over the last decade um but yeah two to three times in that day uh little chunks huge can be a huge uh, uh, game changer for you. Following up Bracken's question then, and I have some very specifics. I still said like it was about a half an hour ago. I said, I want to dive right into the weeds with two things. I haven't even gotten to those yet. So we're doing good, but we're in the weeds. Is it better to run and do that before you get on your flight and fly to your destination? And why? And why not? And, or is it better to fly to your destination and run 
after you've arrived if, let's say, your race is the next day. I mean, I have a firm belief on this, but I'm not a doctor. So what do you think? You got two options. Which is going to help you run your best the next day? Love this question. Um, and I would say um, there's not a direct right answer here. Um, I would say the right answer is, again, doing some movement before, maybe some some micro movements when you're on the plane or the, in the car, um, and then after. And then, so that's that, that I would say is, is the right answer. And then the question is, where do we put in the run, before or after? Sure. Now, a couple of different factors I'm thinking. Um, a, what time is your flight time? You know, if you have to, you have to catch a 7 a.m. flight and all of a sudden you're having to wake up at 3 a.m., 2 a.m. to get in your X amount of miles before your flight, which then interrupts your whole regular sleep cycle, um, then that's probably not going to be a, a good option there because obviously sleep is... Sleep is the holy grail when it comes to, you know, recovery. Um, so, but then, you know, if you're, if you're taking a long flight, say you're, you're flying later in the day, and then all of a sudden you arrive at your destination, say at 7 PM, um, and your race obviously is going to start early in the morning. You got to get up, you got to prep all the stuff, um, you know, doing an hour, whatever your run is before then, whether it's 20 minutes or an hour, you know, is that going to affect your sleep, you know, running right before your, your, your sleep session? I mean, there's, it's pretty established that, you know, doing any type of intense or semi-intense movement prior to sleep is going to affect sleep, whether that's, you know, running, weightlifting, whatever it is. Um, so I would say, you know, it depends where the run is. Um, when do you typically run? You know, is it more in the morning? Is it more midday, mid-afternoon? Let's, like you said before, you touched on uh, specificity of training, which I love. Um, same thing, like let's um, let's study for the test like we're going to take the test, right? So like if we're used to running in the morning, yeah, maybe running before makes sense. If we're used to running a little bit later in the day and you notice that it doesn't affect your sleep at all, then let's let's do that after the flight. Um, so yeah, for that one, it kind of just depends, uh, flight times and okay. what your, what your training program looks like. Well, I was, um, you know, what you're, what I'm understanding is, so I was more, uh, curious about like what it does to, let's say, opening up the joints, opening up the body, let's say greasing the groove, so to speak, when you land so that in the morning you're not working through the rust cause you landed and then worked through the rust at 5 PM and you run the night before, even if you're normally a morning runner, Maybe like would the benefit outweigh the cost of moving, like moving, moving after arriving versus, um, but it sounds like you're almost leading with like, Hey, the external factors, like what does your body need the most of? Like the movement piece is important, but not at expense of routine or reasonability with your schedule. Is that what I'm understanding? You don't think it can make a big difference from a performance standpoint, as long as you're. I don't know. As, as long as the things are being done like they should, it doesn't matter if it's before or after sitting for five hours. That's what I'm kind of getting at. Yeah. I would say, you know, as, as long as you're checking that box again with, you know, getting in some, some active stretching before, middle, after, um, that's going to be the huge piece there. And when it comes to that run, yeah, that, that definitely is kind of an important piece of the puzzle, but it's like going back to the, the test analogy. Um, you've already done the work, right? Like, so even, even if you miss that one run, how much is your performance going to suffer that next day? Um, 
It's, mm. it's essentially like cramming for the test the night before. You've already been studying for three months, staying up late to cram. How much more benefit is that going to get? I mean, that's, that's kind of dependent on you. Um, so, you know, is it important? Well, to Bracken that? has taken, oh, sorry to interrupt. Bracken has taken a number of last minute late night flights to races. So Bracken, I know you, cause we never, we, I mean, we've touched on this in the past, but for me, I've just had bad race. Like if I run in the morning and then I sit on a flight and then sit in a rental car for two hours to the location. And then I, that next morning just hasn't gone great for me in mm-hmm. general, I would be better off running at nine o'clock at night and then racing 10 hours later than doing it just from personal experience. But I know you've done both Bracken with relative success. So I'm actually curious what you think about that. Uh, I mean, I think it starts off with what kind of lower leg sweller are you? I think people who yeah. swell in the lower body, my belief is you shouldn't impact the ground until you take care of the vast majority of that swelling. There's just too many times that people end up cramping or coming up short in terms of durability the next day when they go out and do a normal workout after landing with significant swelling it impacts their 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 body on a in a, like a five or tenfold way I, I don't have the science behind it it's just purely anecdotal and it's happened to me i i so i don't i don't run after a very long flight until i've at minimum got my legs up for a while maximum hopefully had a night of sleep but to counteract that, if you get in late and I'm not running because it was a, let's say I flew all the way to California for a race and I'm my feet are swollen, I land at midnight, which as you know has happened. That's when I do my double warm up. That's where I wake up at five and do a fifteen to twenty minute run, and then I come back, eat my breakfast, do my mobility, then I drive over to the event venue, and then I do a shortened warm up and go. And the first mm-hmm. one feels like absolute death, and the second one. I'm loose and I'm ready to go. So it, it's still a case-by-case basis, but people who don't swell up much on flights, I think can land and go for a shakeout run. Like if I'm less than three hours of flying, I can land and run. If I'm over that, I have like this lower limb refractory period. <laughs> it's like, I got to have time here. <laughs> All right. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I love that. You know, it's it's kind of listening to your body and as you progress in your training um, call it lifestyle, right? Cause this is, this is a lifestyle, whether we're a runner, whether we're a weightlifter, crossfitter, um, you know, martial artist, this is, is part of our life. You know, it's, it's, I always tell people, are you, are you in it for the sprint or are you in it for the marathon? Are you going to try to be, you know, a, whatever you're doing for 30, 40, 50 years, then we kind of need to check some of these boxes versus, all right, I'm just trying to be the best I can for two years. And then my joints are going to crumble and I'm going to burn out. My nervous system's going to be shot. Um, so I think part of that lifestyle is just learning yourself, you know, for what's sure. best for you. Mm-hmm. And, and like yep. you said, genetics and lymphatic, uh, movement, um, can, can play a role, you know, cause some people are going to get off that flight and they're going to have the huge cankles, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be a lot of, uh, and that's where some, some, some more, um, even if we're wearing compression, say, uh, socks or legs or, or leggings, I should say, um, e- even doing some, some specific foam rolling techniques to move lymphatic tissue, you know, starting from distal to what's called proximal. So starting at your feet, ankles, rolling up to your, um, say hip area, that's going to help move some of that lymphatic tissue towards your lymph nodes. And it's going to help, um, help your body, I guess, 
redistribute and and get things moving like they should move. Mm-hmm. And the best thing for lymphatic flow is movement. You know, so um, either way, whether you're doing your run before or after, getting in some type of movement after your flight um, is going to be pretty paramount. What's your take on stim devices, like a Firefly device or anything like that for long sedentary periods? I think it, you know, it can provide a a small amount of benefit, right? Um, I think people are definitely looking for the quick fixes too Mm -hmm. often. Um, One of the things that I say when it comes to, we'll talk about two different things. People, you know, they'll come to me um, or some colleagues or, you know, we'll hear from Movement Vault users and they say, I went to this physical therapist, this chiropractor, et cetera, you fill in the blank. You know, I still have knee pain. I still have back pain, still have this pain. And then I kind of dive deep, especially when I was seeing patients uh, full-time all the time. One of the questions I would uh, ask these these patients, you know, okay, so what kind of things were you doing with physical therapy? Um, so they'd say, I go into my physical therapist, they put ice or heat on me for 15 minutes, then they'd hook up the e-stim for 10 or 15 mm-hmm. minutes, and then I get ultrasound for 15 minutes. Just and spam then- them with devices, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's a great, uh, yeah. great way to say it. And then they're thrown in the corner with their exercise sheet and there's like a PT aid kind of circling like 10 different people. Um, unfortunately I say your glutes you got, aren't firing. Yeah. Glutes aren't firing. Fi- it's like, yep. Toss that out there. It's like, really? Like, how are we standing then if glutes aren't firing? Yeah. Um, but, um, <laughs> and then, you know, I kind of have to break the news that you, I don't even call that PT. I don't call that physical therapy. You just went into a PT factory as we call it. Um, so does e-stim have a place? Yeah, you know, it's it's again like it's almost the analogy of like most performance supplements. Like if we're hitting a you know, the right amount of protein for our goals and our training if we're getting in the right amount of carbohydrates, basically the the macronutrient breakdown that we're trying to hit, you know, we're we're getting a diverse diet. Can supplements help? Yeah, they can kind of bring us to, you know, maybe another percent, 2%, 3%, depending on what's going on. Uh, it's going to be more of an icing on the cake. You got to really get those those deep layer foundation layers first, those lifestyle habits before it's going to impact anything. Um, so yeah, throwing on e-stim just to, just to do it, it's, it's not going to be a huge needle mover. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm not really fully sold on uh, e-stim. You know, back when I was working with... Um, just the pro athletes, there was some different protocols that we used. So we'd have certain frequencies, say hooked up to quads. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would, we would couple that with say body weight squats. Um, and we had different like protocols that we did and there's some research behind it. Um, but I think for most people, um, you know, it's, is it worth it? Eh, it might be, but it's not, it's not huge in my book. Okay. Um, two things I, I, we try to give good advice on this podcast and sometimes we do that. And then sometimes I think we, we fix problems we create, but these are two things that I've said on this podcast that I believe in. And I want you to either tell me I'm wrong, or I want you to tell me I'm right and why. And I've given this advice to our listeners. So, and I'm, listen, my ego, fairly small in this regard. So you can correct me. And in this regard only. I say... In this regard, I said specifically in this regard. Um, I say two things. Well, I also think stretching is overrated. I say strength work is mobility work in disguise. You want to you want to you want to be better at moving through space? Start squatting, for example. Okay, like you want better joint flexibility. I think so. Strength work 
is mobility work in disguise. So if you're going to focus on anything, focus on that. People think strength work makes them tighter. In fact, I'd argue the opposite. And then the other thing I say is people cram in static stretching days before their races, and then they show up with a flaccid rubber band for muscles and ligaments and tendons, and they have, can't generate any power because we generate power through tension, right? And so people overstretch and they show up on race day with flat legs. Stop doing that crap. Only active stuff. And then the other thing is I say strength work is mobility work in disguise. I believe in those. I would stand on those rocks. And this is mostly anecdotal. Now, I have a degree in ex-phys and sports psych. Like, I have a background like you do, but this is purely, like, what I've experienced, what I believe athletes experience. So tell me how I'm wrong, right, or in the middle. All right. So we got the two different points there. I would say, number one, um, partially right. Number two, 100% okay. right. Ding, ding, ding. Um, so okay. I guess we'll do the short answer first. So yeah, static stretching, the second point that you, um, that you mentioned, you know, if we even kind of like, we touched on the research before, right? So static stretching specifically, uh, before an athletic endeavor or exercise has been, you know, associated with increasing injury risk, decreasing performance. So like that's, it's pretty well established. There's a lot of studies, a lot of different protocols. You have to really parse out all these different studies. It's not just one study saying this is it, you know? Boom, that's the case closed. No, we have to actually dive in. We have to read these studies. We need to, all right, what kind of uh, stretching protocols were they using? Um, so I spent days, like hundreds of hours looking through the research and, um, you know, without uh, getting, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to let that cat out of the bag, but we, we might have a study uh, going underway with the active stretching that we do in the Movement Fault uh, app versus static stretching. I'm not going to dive out any, delve out any too many in, uh, details there, but it's with a uh, one of the top research um, universities in the in the country. But so the research is established there. But if we zoom out, let's like let's use common sense here and use first principles. So static stretching, we've kind of um, We've established that static stretching doesn't involve any active movement, no muscle contraction. We're just essentially stretching out connective tissues, which are your muscle, your fascia, your tendon, your ligaments. And then we're just relaxing. And then as you're in that stretch, what's going to happen is you can usually get a little bit deeper in the stretch, right? So what do we, what do we know and what do we think happens there? It's essentially we're bypassing the stretch reflex per se. Our nervous system is just relaxing a little bit more so we can get a little bit deeper into the stretch. Okay. That's cool. That might be cool for, you know, the splits on Instagram or, you know, doing some crazy contortion, but that has no translation into active human movement because if we're trying to do something passively, to get better at something that is active and requires active movement, that doesn't mm -hmm. make sense, right? We're trying to do mm -hmm. something passive to get better at something active. Doesn't make sense just from a common sense perspective. So if we look at active stretching, again, that's different. We're going to stretch out the muscle of the joint. We're going to contract that muscle and we're going to do that, you know, depending on our protocol, our goals, maybe it's a 10 second contraction, 20%, 20 second contraction. You know, we can vary intensities. We can do a 10, 50% uh, muscle contraction intensity. We can vary that all the way up to 100% where we're maximally contracting our muscle while it's stretched out in an isometric contraction. Um, getting a little bit technical for the listeners. Um, but, uh, and so if we do that over a series of reps, what's happening there? We're actually improving our end range of motion strength. 
So specifically, specifically mm. to that joint angle. So if we look at the research isometrics, when you, when you get stronger with an isometrics, it's pretty specific to that joint angle. So, uh, most people are going to get injured in their extremes of joint angles, whether the, whether that's maximally lengthened or maximally shortened, because if we just look at any muscle in general, you, you're going to have a lengthened position and a shortened position. If we think about the elbow, uh, straight elbow is maximally lengthened, bent up like we're doing a curl, that's going to be the shortened position. Uh, we're, we're going to be weakest in those two ranges of motion. We're going to be strongest in the middle. So if we can improve the end ranges, the shortened and the lengthened position, that's going to A, improve the end range of motion joint stability and strength, but it's also going to decrease that injury risk in those end ranges of motion. And so you're going to get that benefit. Um, you're also going to, again, increase joint stability. You're going to increase your, what we touched on this before, but joint proprioception, which is a fancy word for just saying body awareness. We're going to improve our balance because in order to have balance, we need proprioception. We need muscle activation. You're not doing any of this with static stretching. So going back to that point, yeah, hundred percent. That's like amazing. I, I love that. Static stretching in my... Um, can I interrupt real quick? Yeah. 100%. Sorry, just to, to clarify for our listeners, and then for me, I guess. So let's just simplify it for people listening. Um, hamstring stretch. My hamstrings are tight. I'm going to bend over and touch my toes. Static stretch, right? What would be the version of that in your opinion? Like somebody's like, what do you mean contract and hold or resist? Like what would be one example of an active hamstring stretch? Versus, let's say, the static sit on the floor, reach for your toes. Because you just get throw one example so people can start wrapping their head around that. Yeah, 100%. So another common way, because there's a bunch of different positions that we could stretch out the hamstring in an active way. And so a common position would be to, say, put your heel while you're standing up. So you're, you're standing up right now. You're going to put your heel on, say, like a bench if you're at a park um, or if you're at home on a couch or a chair, and then you're going to kick your hips back. Most people are actually going to reach down to touch their toes, and that's going to stretch out the hamstring, the back of the hip. But we can turn that position into an active position. Same thing. We're going to put our heel on that couch or that bench. We're going to kick our hips back. Don't, don't think as much of trying to touch the toes. Just kick your hips back till, until you feel a maximal stretch in the hamstrings. And so that's, that's the first piece there. So if we just did nothing there, that's a stat, static stretch. And again, we're not you know advising that. To turn that into an active stretch, then we're going to think about driving our heel down into that, into that bench. And so what that's going to do is that's going to cause the hamstring to contract um, because you're trying to forcefully drive your heel down. And then we're going to hold that hamstring contraction again for 10 to 20 seconds. Um, and then we would typically build up our, our muscle contraction intensity over one rep, two rep, three rep, four rep, depending on how we structure that class or that, that routine. Um, and so that's the basic version of it. And then if we wanted to even get a little more technical with it, we could actually then after we say do a 20% contraction while we're driving our heel down, we can then relax. We can stay in the stretch or for this version, we could actually stand straight up and then we can think about contracting the other side of the joint while it's still stretched out. And so in that case, we would then be contracting our hip flexor muscle, which would primarily be our psoas and or our rectus femoris, which is your middle quad muscle in a shortened position. 
So now we're we're getting the benefits, same position, but now we're targeting the 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 front of the hip, which again, a lot of people, especially runners, even though they do a lot of repetition when it comes to hip flexion, do have tight tight and weak hip flexors. So that's like that would be the bonus on that one. So there's a bunch of different ways we can kind of um, dive into this. And we've, I mean, we've got like hundreds of different versions in the movement fault stretching app there um, when it comes to uh, active stretching. But so yeah, that's, that's basically, that's one version of an active stretch. Um, and then if we want to dive into the first um, example that you, you gave about stretching's totally overrated. Um, obviously I'm going to disagree with you on that one. Uh, it depends on what people are. <laughs> I meant static stretching by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so static stretching. If you, if we're talking static stretching um, for the first one, yeah, hundred percent. I, I would agree there. I do so. Two, I would say three different ways to improve joint mobility and or maintain joint mobility. Because those are two things, right? Like, you know, people think that all right. So, say I'm following a an effective stretching program, effective mobility program, and you reach your goals. Um, you can do whatever it is. Um, and you've been doing it for four weeks or you've been doing it for six months, whatever you're doing. And you've got there, you're like, all right, I'm done. Like, cool. I got amazing joint mobility. Let's go for the next 40 years. Well, unfortunately, uh, again, your body's going to adapt to the things you spend the most time in. So if you're doing effective stretching techniques, your body's going to adapt to it. If you then stop doing it and you're sitting all day, your body's going to kind of revert back to it. Will you hold some of those gains? Yeah, you will for a certain to a certain extent, for sure. Um, it's, I always make the analogy of it's like brushing teeth, right? Like we think about brushing our teeth. Hopefully most people are brushing their teeth one, two, three times a day, whatever we're doing. Why do we do it? Essentially it's, it's teeth maintenance, right? So it's, so our, we don't get cavities. Our teeth don't fall out. Most people can get that concept, um, that we have to maintain our, our teeth or else they're going to fall out. Same thing with the joints. Effective stretching is joint maintenance to essentially move our best and prevent pain and injury. Um, and so when it comes to, yeah, um, improving and maintaining mobility, if we could do, if we could do three things, say if we just had all the options, it's one, getting more rotation in throughout our day, just day-to-day stuff, you know, whether we're, you know, rotating to pick something up or, um, say we're walking backwards every once in a while, instead of walking forwards, if we're doing a sideways walk, yeah, it looks pretty weird. I even have people when they're walking up the steps and they're not in a rush, try to walk up the steps sideways. Like you're basically doing a karaoke up the steps. Um, that's going to, that's going to add in little chunks of varied movement. So that'd be the first one. Number two, obviously active stretching. Um, I kind of harped on that, you know, quite a bit thus far. And then number three is working out. That's also going to you know, strength training that's going to maintain your, your current mobility and, or potentially improve it. But there's one caveat. If you're consistently performing shortened range of motion exercises, again, your body's going to adapt to that. So my, my, um, advice to people is at least 80% of your workouts and your reps for a given exercise should be through your full range of motion on that given day. Now your range of motion is going to change whether you're, you know, working on it. If you're, if you're working on improving your range of motion, your range of motion hopefully will improve if you're following effective techniques. And, or if you're, if you have a period of your life where you're just sitting way more, you're way more stressed out, you're not moving enough, your range of motion is going to decrease. So you need to A, be aware of that. 
Um, we can talk about signs of like, what is your range of motion? Because if you push past your range of motion that you have, your available mobility for that day, that's where the compensations are going to come in from other joints. So an example, we use the squat or you use the squat, right? So mm. say I'm squatting for that day. Um, I can perform a a squat with good technique, you know, whatever that is, uh, good technique, good form. You know, I'm keeping my knees out. Uh, my knees aren't buckling inward. My low back's not rounding. My upper back's not rounding. Depends on if we're, you know, performing a barbell squat or a kettlebell goblet squat. So I can perform good technique until I get to parallel, we'll just say. But for whatever reason, you have it in your mind that a squat doesn't count until you go ass to grass. <laughs> um, but you don't have the mobility to do that. Like you, you haven't earned that that right to go ass to grass yet. W can you earn that right? You can, um, but it takes some time. But then you try to push past your mobility limits. That's where your low back starts to round. That's where your knee starts to twist. That's where your heels come off the ground. So you're pushing past your available mobility limits for that day, for that week, for that month. And that's where the joint wear and tear is going to come in. That's where the pain and injury is going to come in. So your goal is to get up to your full available range of motion on that given day before you start to have compensation. Um, so if we're fully using our, our, our available range of motion to us, our body, again, is going to adapt to that. We're going to at least maintain our range of motion, right? Versus if, say, you can go down to parallel, like in that same example, but for whatever reason, over the next X amount of months, you're squatting quite often and you're only going halfway down, well, then your body's going to adapt to that as well. So then you might lose the ability to squat down to parallel after so much time. Um, so this, this is more in like the bodybuilding ish, but it, it, you know, relates to anyone that's training. Um, if you're doing partial, what's called like a partial rep, say if you're bench pressing and you're, you're not going fully elbow locked to fully, you know, bar to relatively close to the chest. If you have the shoulder mobility to do so, you're just kind of going, you know, small ranges of motion or say a pull-up, you're not going from a relatively full hang to full chin up over the bar. If you can do so. Um, you're only doing that mid range of motion. You're only say, um, you know, going down halfway and then back up halfway, back up, halfway, back up, your joints are going to adapt to that. And that can lead to tight joints. So like, you know, strength, it's, it's not the actual strength training, building muscle, getting stronger, leading to tight muscles and tight joints. Cause there's, you know, I've worked with some freakishly strong people, um, that have great mobility, not just great flexibility, but great mobility and, you know, I asked them, were you, were you always mobile? No, they weren't. They've actually, you know, specifically worked on these things. Um, and they performed their exercises through a full range of motion. So I would say, you know, on your point there, strength training can be a great add on to mobility, um, you know, to improving your mobility. But if you're, you're, you're just using a, a partial range of motion, that's how you're training throughout months and years. Your body is going to adapt to that and you're going to most likely have a shortened range of motion. All right. Well, yeah, I was insinuating like, for example, in the bracket, I'm sure you want to jump in with something, but it would be like, like the range of motion of our joints when we're speaking to runners is fairly limited. You mentioned like very limited ankle flexion, very limited, you know, range of motion with the knee and the hip. And like, if you're doing a full 
Bulgarian split squat, the range of motion in which you're requiring all joints to go through other than maybe your ankle is what I would just say, like generically opening things up much more than they would ever need to be opened up during the run gate. Right. And so like, it's like, yeah, if you're full barbell squatting and you're actively used, like if look at a Bulgarian split squat going with your uh, active stretching, like you're actively pushing through the top of your foot into the bench, activating your hip flexor and quad while engaging your other glute and hamstring insertion on the plant leg. Like a lot of the principles you talk about active stretching are even involved in like something as simple as a Bulgarian split squat. Right. But you're actually moving a little bit through space. So like my, my point, and I think you're, I think you're right. Like with the whole limited range on certain strength movements, you're going to, you're going to teach your body those habits. But I think like in the scope of running, and that's a very limited range of motion activity. If you're at least, I mean, I don't know, it's better than just running right for joint mobility. I think that's what I was sort of getting at, but I think you made my point. I think you, you said it better, of course. So I was just, um, that's where I was coming at it from through the running lens, right? Cause we hardly bend any of our joints when we're running. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I, th I would totally agree with that statement. Um, and then there's, you know, there's a question like how much mobility do you need? You know, like there's going to be a couple different answers there. It's like, okay, so you're a runner, like you said, and like we touched on before, there's limited hip mobility needed. Um, or I should say limited range of motion per se, um, relatively limited ankle range of motion that's needed per se, but you're still a human, right? So like, yeah, running is, you know, maybe your, your passion, your hobby, but if you're going down to, you know, you're, you're, you're moving and you're going down to pick a box up to the left, or you, you have a small child and you, you go to pick up your 10 pound, um, you know, 12 month old or however, however big your, your child is, you wrote down, you reach down to rotate to the left and then all of a sudden, boom, you snap your back because you don't have good hip mobility. Well, you, yeah, maybe you, we argue that you had good enough hip mobility to run, but do you have enough hip mobility for life? You know, that's the question. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with people that are really strong individuals that can deadlift ridiculous amounts of weight, 500, 600 pounds, or, you know, extremely um, proficient in say, you know, a, a marathon run or you name it, you know, but when it comes down to, again, rotation, um, going side to side, that strong person is then fragile in all these other ranges of motion. Cause they're just not working them, you know, and like say a squat. Yeah. That's going to work or say a Bulgarian split squat. Cause that is, that's a great movement. I love the Bulgarian, Bulgarian split squat. Um, you know, you're going to get that, uh, that hip, hip flexion, uh, kind of active stretch, especially if you're pressing your, your back foot down into the boxer bench as you're moving it. Um, but still, you know, we're, we're not working the lateral side of the hip as much as we can. So that's where, if we really get technical with some of these active stretching positions, it allows us to really optimize the range of motion and the muscle activation and some of these smaller stabilizer muscles and different uh, positions that we wouldn't be able to do, say in a squat or a split, a split squat. Um, another kind of example is, you know, you might be, you can't out cue a mobility issue, right? So like, you know, whether it's your trainer or you're the trainer inside your head, you're like, man, I want to get a little bit deeper. I need to keep my knees out. I need to keep my heels down on the ground as I squat. Um, well, it doesn't matter no matter the best cues in the world, right? Cause cues can help. Um, so if you have the, you're the best cue, you've got chat GPT giving you cues here, um, for your squat, 
if you have a mobility issue at your ankles, you can't out cue that. That's just, that's a physical limitation. Um, so that's why, I, you know, I always obviously suggest people really getting into the root cause and can you squat to get better at a squat to a certain extent, you know, but, um, not, not like you could, if you were really focusing on deep ankle dorsiflexion while contracting muscles, um, same thing with the hip flexor, uh, et cetera. Yeah. That, that, that concept of runners don't need a ton of mobility to be good is one that it's true, but you've never heard ever the case of that runner is bad because their hips have too much mobility or their ankles have too much mobility, but you hear the opposite of it. Like, can you be a great Olympic class runner with bad ankle mobility and hip mobility? Yes. But can it prevent you from getting there? as well? Yes. Can you be one with great hip and ankle mobility? Yes. But will it ever prevent you from getting there? The answer is no. No one was ever a bad runner because they had such great mobility. But the people with great mobility are more durable and less injured in everything else they do other than running. And oftentimes as people become better and better and better at running, they get worse and worse and worse at everything else in their life in terms of their physicality. So, I mean, I think the simple answer to people who say, you don't need all that much range of motion in your hips to run fast. It's like, no, you don't. But running, a maximum load of running is like 15 hours per week, which is not even a part-time job. It's like the whole rest of your life still is going to suck if you you have terrible (laughs) hip mobility. Yeah, 100% too. And I'd even add that... um you know, say that out of that 15 hours, you are, obviously you're still having to live, right? Um, you're still yeah. having to clean your house, to move things from Home Depot to your car and all these other things. And if you don't have the joint resilience, the joint stability, joint mobility to do those things that we should be able to do in life to, you know, survive that if you injure yourself doing that and, or in your run, then you're just, you're, you're out of the race, you know, you're, right. you're on the sidelines. And so running's our side hustle you know, doing, checking some of the, it's, it can't make you miss days on your regular job, which is life. And oftentimes we, we mix up the order of priority there. Hmm. 100%. So I think I just jumped in right over the top of you there. No, we're good. Okay. You guys who weren't moving on nice. yeah, for just, a bit. I just had a, I had a little lag. Well, people there, were but... freezing, but gotcha. Well, of your whole list, two things jumped out at me. One, because they've affected me. And two, because they've affected in some way everyone I've ever worked with. And that was knees and back. And I want to talk knees and back today. I'm a double meniscectomy guy and someone who's the narrative in their family is that crockers have tight backs. Crockers have back problems. That's what you hear at the cookouts, the get togethers. And your big take is that it's not genetic and no one has to deal with knee or back pain outside of acute injury. And I want to talk about all those things. Yeah. And that's, that's right on. Um, so most, so first of all, I guess we got two different things there. So knee pain is, is not your knee's fault. And so the knee, if we look at the actual 
range of motion and movement of the knee, it's it's mainly to straighten and bend, flexion and extension. And when it's bent, it has a little bit of rotation. That's like the main movements of the knee. Um, so it doesn't have a, what we call a lot of degrees of freedom, say versus your hip, right? The hip is the ball and socket. It can move relatively 360 degrees. So the knee again, outside of any kind of traumatic injury or having bad luck, if you get into a car accident um, or you fall on ice, et cetera, um, the knee is usually knee pain, knee injury is going to be due to compensation that due to a tight hip and or a tight ankle for the most part. Um, So what happens is if you have a tight hip and you're performing a movement that requires so much range of motion, but you're... your hip is a little bit tight. You don't quite have that range of motion. Well, then your knee has to actually kind of act like a hip in a way. And how it acts like that hip is due to a little bit more rotation than it should. And so over time, if your knee is moving like it really wasn't designed to move, you'll be you'll be able to get away with that during that run or during that that um, macro training um, program that you're on, or maybe even a few x amount of years. But over time, that wear and tear is going to catch up with you, and you know that's going to lead to pain. You're going to start feeling some pain. That's the first indicator. All right, my knee's not feeling quite right, and then over time, that pain's going to most likely get worse and worse and worse, leading to you know for you to go in and check out what's going on. Then you might get an MRI. All right. You've got, you know, severe degradation and damage to your meniscus, or, you know, maybe it's uh, another ligament and yeah, you might need surgery. You might not. Um, so if we could have reversed that and we could have actually improved your hip mobility, improved your hip range of motion, that would actually prevent that knee compensation, which then would prevent the joint wear and tear um, and, you know, injury, surgery, et cetera. So that's kind of how we prevent joint pain and injury. And so the knee, yeah, it wasn't really the knee's fault because the knee was doing what it was doing. You know, it's extending, flexing, a little bit of rotation, but it was your hip. You had that tight hip that, you know, for whatever reason you didn't, um, you know, you didn't understand was tight. Um, And I've been there too. I mean, uh, you know, early on in my my journey, we've talked about, I've kind of, um, you know, I've been in, involved in health, fitness, performance, et cetera, for a while. Um, I was doing more running per se than I'm doing now. Um, and this was early on when I was like 17, 18. Um, and yeah, I had tight hips. My hips were tight. I, I didn't know what to do. I was doing the same static stretches that a lot of people right. were doing. And I went to my PT, you know, they, I was having knee pain. You know, I started my first half, et cetera. Now I know, um, you know, what, what to do, but yeah, that's essentially the, the kind of case there. Same thing with the low back. Um, again, a lot of times it's tight hips. Maybe it's poor, um, midsection engagement, core engagement, core activation, core strength, that piece there. Um, it's always due to some type of root cause. And I always say that 99%, this is again, a lot of the things that I do are based on research, based off stat. This is my stat. This is, you know, just from seeing thousands of patients, et cetera. 99% of injuries can be prevented and can be avoided. So, you know, we can say 98, 97, 96, basically most. And so out of that small percentage of that can't, why are some injuries not preventable, not fixable? Well, that's if there is severe genetic predisposition. So most people blame their, like you said, their their bad knees or their back on 
on genetics. You know, my dad's got a bad back. My brother's got a bad back. My grandpa had a bad back. And it's like, okay, well, how are you, how is your uncle? How's your dad? How's your brother? How are they living? You know, are they, uh, are they stuck at a desk all day? Are they, you know, hunched over leaning their using their backrest? Are they doing any, you know, effective active stretching protocols? Are they, are they doing rotational work in the gym? Are they using full range of motion exercises in the gym? Essentially it's like, are we living like a human should live? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually the answer is no, you know, my dad sits all day. He's been sitting at his desk for forties. Well, yeah, of course he's got back pain, just like everyone else that has back pain, unfortunately. Um, and so, yeah, I say that back pain is is not caused by genetics. Again, is there like a small percentage of people that do have a uh, a severe genetic predisposition? hundred percent, but that's a very small percentage, way smaller than the general public, um, Instagram influencers, just general knowledge um, says, and people just accept. Um, and it's just, mm-hmm. it comes down to joint maintenance, you know? Um, yeah. If you're living, if I go to a coffee shop and I survey, you know, the hundred people will say it's a big coffee shop. There's a hundred people working in the coffee shop. Um, how many of these people have three out of 10 <laughs> back pain? Probably 30%. We'll just say just roughly. So are they all related? Right. No, they're not. They're just sitting all day. Yeah. Well, it's like, what's the easiest thing to point to? Our greatest shared trait is that we we all have the same last name. So that's what we have in common, right? Then you dig deeper and you realize, no, they're all semi-gifted athletes who are competitive until they weren't, stop training and keep doing weekend exploits and you have back problems. You don't train to support that movement. Your talent now exceeds your preparation and not one of us does core work. That's that's also a commonality, but it's easier to find that, yeah, we're all in the same family. Yeah, 100%. That's, that's, I mean, I've, I've got a lot of goals as, you know, with, with Movement Fault as a company and myself, but the amount of people that are affected by just low back pain, whether they are a runner, whether they don't exercise at all, whatever they are, um, whatever they do in life, um, it's astronomical the amount of money that is spent on low back pain, whether it's at work or outside of work, hundreds of billions of dollars every year. This is based off some some OSHA stats. Um, is spent every year just on low back pain alone. It's actually the number one or the top three um, complaints that will send you into your primary care doc. Uh, and it's 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 mind blowing and mind numbing that this can be, essentially be prevented basically for free. You know, as long as you're doing the right things, very small price, whatever it is, um, and a very small time um, amount of time dedicated to it. And that's, that's, that's one of our big goals is to really put a dent in the, the amount of people that are, are suffering with low back pain because of eventually you just get used to it. And whether you blame it on your, your genetics or you're just used to dealing with the struggle and you can kind of put up with it. And maybe you've tried a mediocre PT or you tried a mediocre stretching program, um, you're just like, I've got three out of 10 back pain, four out of 10 back pain. It flares up every six months, puts me out of commission for a week. That's just my, that's my normal. That's how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of my message is to people, no, that's, that's not how it has to be. You know, um, we just need to do the right things to, to write that ship. 
I have one uh, thing on your list that I still want to ask you about, and then we want to ask about Movement Vault and what people can, how people can be helped by that. Uh, and I don't know how many are left on your list, but one thing that I am shocked Bracken has not asked you about yet. I, so I guess I'm just going to have to do it Kirk. for you. <laughs> is that what it is? That's all it is. Uh, number four on your list says, your shoes are destroying your feet. That's the last itch I need scratched here, Doc. So, and I, if Bracken is too shy to do it, I will. So why are your shoes destroying your feet? Yes, yes, yes. That's a great, uh, great segue. And I see the shoes in the background. So, um, mm-hmm. so let's just think about feet. Because, I mean, a lot of the things that I do and the way I think is, A, I want to look at research, right? We want to be, we want to make like, we want to have good informed decisions and good informed um, thoughts to then relay to people. Cause that's obviously why we're here, you know, on this platform, you guys, you know, amazing podcast, whatever it is, we're trying to put out good information out there because we didn't touch on this, but there's just a lot of un- unfortunately poor information that's continually mm-hmm. regurgitated. And it's just regurgitated because people haven't stepped back and actually, A, looked at the research and maybe not only just read the abstract, but actually read the full study. A lot of people that even read the full study don't know how to read a study, unfortunately. Um, I give them props though for trying, so I'm not like trying to put people down here. Um, and then number <laughs> two is uh, is using first principles, right? So like, let's let's use the research. Let's look at, let's face it, you know, no matter what we believe, it's not like a religious thing or whatever, but human evolution, right? So like we have evolved to move in certain ways. And again, that's what gets us caught up is, you know, the gym, right? So the, we, we think about this box, it's this box with these like weights in it. And we just go to like, you know, get strong, you know, whatever our goal is, get, get, uh, build muscle. We shouldn't really have to go to this box with this, you know, these things in it that we move because, for most of existence, you had to move things in order to live. And that was just part of the process. You're probably going to get relatively strong. Um, you're probably going to have mobile joints because you're moving in a lot of different ways of motion. You wouldn't have to stretch, you know, like, uh, obviously I can't go back in time, but I'm sure like a lot of those people weren't stretching and, you know, obviously how often they get injured, there's a whole rabbit hole there. But so anyways, it's kind of a, a, uh, a prelude to what I'm about to say here. So, most people, a you know, I've worked with so many people that are just using orthotics, using um, motion stability shoes. Um, they're they're using these shoes with toe boxes that are just crushing their feet way too narrow. Um, our body again adapts to the positions we spend the most time in. Our our parents put shoes on us when we were, you know, x amount of months old, and these narrow shoes, number one, are our, 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 our feet and our toes and all these muscles and joints in our feet are getting squished. Our body's going to adapt to that. So over time, that's kind of one piece of the puzzle, these narrow toe boxes. Number two, if we look at just the soles of the shoes, right? So we've got, uh, there's two different things here. So number one, obviously we have the heel to toe differential, um, even a small amount of millimeters from heel to toe, it's going to throw off some alignment up the chain, um, so that's a big piece. Essentially, are we wearing high heels? 
that's, is it okay to wear like a, you know, a, a shoe with a heel lift every once in a while? Yeah, for sure. Um, can you wear them for your whole life and, you know, your knees aren't going to like fall apart? Yeah, probably not. But it's actually, it's not going to be an optimal situation there. Number two, we can talk about like, you know, how that's affecting the ankle, how that's affecting the knee, how that's affecting the hip, that heel to toe differential as far as stack height goes. But then just the fact that we have cushion, right? So no matter what, if you're wearing a minimalist shoe, um, there's going to be, whether it's a few millimeters of rubber or, you know, big stack height of foam, that is a layer between our feet, the bottom of our feet and the surface that we're uh, moving on, right? So if we think about our hands, the the palms of our hands and the the bottoms of our feet, if we look at the receptors that um, are basically dedicated, like if we look at our brain uh, and we look at what's called the humunculus, there's a way larger proportion of sensory receptors dedicated to the palms of the hands and the feet. That's for you know, that's an evolutionary process. That's for a reason, right? Uh, we want to be able to sense things with our hands, with our feet. If we're stepping on something sharp, stepping on something hot, is the terrain very rocky? Um, is it smooth? Are we running on grass? Are we run on a slab of rock, etc. cetera. Um, and so that's, that's a given thing. We know that that's, that's a fact. So we have these sensor, we have this sensory capability. Now, again, keeping in mind our body's adapting to what we throw at it. So I want you to think about if you wore gloves on your hands for 12 hours a day, um, I'm 40. So we'll say for 38 years, I'm wearing gloves on my hands for 12 years. I'm sorry, 12 hours a day. Do you think that my sensory capability in the palm of my hand is going to be as good as if I didn't? Just, no. just first, first principles like common sense says no. Yeah, hundred percent. Your no, body's, no. yeah, you're you're going to downregulate those receptors because they're just not there. You you now have, even a glove is just a thin layer of say rubber or you know synthetic. You have a a barrier between that, so now you're not going to be able to feel as well. So then, if we have a huge stack of foam on the shoe, think about that. We'll just say like you know half a centimeter versus say a minimalist shoe, um, depending on what we're doing. So that's, that's another thing. So we got, we've got the, the narrow toe box squishing our toes in. We've got the, the stack height difference between the, the heel and the toe changing some mechanics, depending on the shoe. Um, then we have arch support, right? So like our feet are, we, we were built, we didn't come out of the womb again. I made the joke about coming out of the womb with the iPad before we didn't come out of the womb with, um, with inserts, right? It's because mm -hmm. our feet innately have the intrinsic foot muscles to create the stability in the feet. Now, you know, again, I've seen a ton of people and they come, they're like, man, I was told I have flat feet. Um, I've told that I have really high arches. I have to wear a orthotic forever. Now, when you're relying, just like the backrest analogy, when we're relying on that backrest, over time, our core is going to, um, it's going to get used to that. It's going to essentially turn off, et cetera. So when we're using arch support, our intrinsic foot muscles, those small little foot muscles, the, the foot's amazing as far as like a architectural design perspective. When we look at all the different bones and articulations and muscles, it's amazing. But when we rely on that external support, 
well, your, your muscles don't have to do their job anymore. So over years and decades, they're going to become weak. They're going to become tight. You're going to lose the optimal mobility to move your feet, move your toes, move those little muscles. And so that person that comes to me with flat feet, I do an assessment on them. I say, yeah, you, by the looks of it, you you do have collapsed arches per se. Um, does that mean you need to rely on you know arch support from here on out? No, you know you need to work on your foot mobility. You need to work on your big toe mobility. That's a huge piece. People, um, we say in Movement Fault, never skip feet day. It's kind of like the the bro thing. Don't skip leg day because we work on specific foot uh, mobility. Um, whether it comes to muscle and fascia stuff to active stretches there. But yeah, big toe mobility, huge. Obviously, you guys know that with running, any type of performance. Um, but yeah, essentially, you know, when we add up those things, um, wearing them all the time, people aren't spending any time barefoot. When they go home, they're wearing their house slippers, they're going, they're wearing their their house shoes. And I ask them, you know, why are you wearing slippers at home? Do you have glass all over the ground? There's, well, I've got hardwood floors. And I was and it gives me pain after I walk around for 20 minutes and it goes back to that point where, you know, unfortunately I've got to give them some tough love. Well, you, you're fragile, my friend. Um, mm -hmm. you need, you should be able to walk around on, on wood floors for all day or stand there all day. Um, now would I suggest that person all of a sudden make the switch to walking around their house barefoot for six hours a day, if they were going to be home? No, we have to, you've got decades of, movement patterns of tissue resilience that have um, decreased, you know, we need to slowly adapt. It's just like you guys, I'm not sure what your stance is on barefoot running, minimalist running, et cetera. But, you know, the person that say is running uh, an eight mile run three or four times a week, if they all of a sudden put on a pair of, uh, you know, minimalist shoes, it's not going to end up good. You know, you need right. to build up that, that joint capacity. Um, so those are some like basic points on how shoes are destroying our feet for the most part. Kirk's just waiting for <laughs> some sort of I'm looking at you. Anger. No, I, I have no I have no argument with a single piece of that. Because it's logical and it's correct. I on here I'm and in this industry I'm known as a shoe person, but only because we talk about performance. Like right now, I'm barefoot. I'm barefoot. I'm known, like when we go camping, I'm the guy that walks around barefoot. And like, how does that not destroy your feet? I grew up barefoot. I have hardwood floors and I'm barefoot 24 seven. Um, here's a, a normal day-to-day -day shoe for me if I have to wear shoes. There's no drop, has a wide rounded toe box because like you said, we come out of the womb and our feet are made to do all of life's tasks without support. And then there's the performance side. Like to continue that analogy, we don't come out of the womb driving 300 mile per hour race cars. And so when we do, we use the proper equipment to support our head, neck, spine, that kind of thing. And I look at running the same way. We don't come out designed to run 100 mile weeks. I don't care what type of hunter gatherers we were, they were not running 100 mile weeks. <laughs> and so when we do, we need extra safety gear or performance supports to do so, which is why all these things exist up here. But on my day-to-day -day runs, I run in about a four mil drop shoe because that's the lowest I can get away with while still being able to run unlimited volume. And on race day, health is not your goal. You're hurting your body on race day. So I'm wearing the shoe 
that can be anatomically incorrect, but performance geared because I'm out of that baby in 90 minutes or less, and I'm not touching it again until the next tune-up day before a race. So I, I very much segment my shoe types because the shoes that are on the wall behind me serve the 1% of my daily life, but I'm obsessed with that 1%. But people, and it's funny because I'm very adamant against barefoot running for most people. There are some people that that's their fix and who am I to tell them it didn't work for you. However, I'm barefoot 98% of the time in my life. So to me, there's shoes for tools and then there are shoes for the rest of your life and they do not cross streams for me. Yeah, I love that. I can I can totally agree with that. And um, the amount of people that I've... I've actually has come to see me, whether they contacted me, you know, whatever way they did, um, mm -hmm. that have again, jumped into barefoot running because, you know, they, they read the book, you know, born to run, et cetera. They saw Instagram posts that just threw on those, those minimalist shoes and boom, a week later they got right. plantar fasciitis, shin splints. Um, yeah, I, even for the person that, uh, I had someone contact me recently, um, and they're like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a ultra marathoner. I, I, I'm training for a hundred, hundred mile race here coming up. Um, I want to switch to minimalist shoes. Um, I'm like, it's, it's not a good idea at this point. Um, and like you said, yeah, there's that continuum between performance. It's like, yeah, even that hunter gatherer that was, has evolved to run, you know, chase certain things, depending on where we lived in the, in the world, mm -hmm. they weren't running on a slab of rock for right. those 20 miles, you know, right. or 10 miles. Um, and that's essentially what we're doing on the concrete. You're running on a slab of rock. And so even those people that, you know, me specifically, I do wear minimalist shoes per se, if we want to call whatever minimalist shoes are in my day to day. Mm -hmm. Um, if I'm working out at the gym and I can't go barefoot, you know, some type of minimalist shoes. Um, I, I'm as far as my training right now, I don't have large volume runs, but it's kind of more of just more from like a, a longevity perspective. And I just, I actually truly enjoy running. Um, but they're just shorter clips, you know, we're talking mm -hmm. two to two to four miles. Um, I typically for most people, and again, you guys are, you guys are the running performance experts. You have more knowledge on this than I do. Um, so I'm not going to pretend to flex here from the, tr the training volume perspective, but over like two miles um, on a street or concrete running with minimalist shoes, I'm, I'm typically not a fan of, yeah. um, no matter what, you know, like even if you are, you've got a, a good um, forefoot, midfoot strike, you know, you've kind of worked that, that heel strike per se out of the equation. You've got a better absorption of ground reactive forces when you're running um, through your foot and your ankle, accepting that still, I mean, that's barefoot on concrete. Right. I don't think we've evolved to run. So yeah, I, I a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. It's you, you're in this to perform. Let's, um, there's kind of that continuum. It's like, it's a, absolutely a continuum. Yep. And it's, when did you start? If you were put in barefoot training environment in your entire life and barefoot shoes, your entire life, you could probably run hundred mile weeks with just a slab of thin rubber underneath you because that's what you've adapted to and what you've all, all you've known everything about your structure is designed for that to the i mean i would i would rather have someone barefoot run truly barefoot than in a pair of vibram five fingers because then you have that built-in safety net of 
I can't handle this anymore. I'm going to stop. Or you put one thin, like two mil slab of rubber underneath. And now you're going to go run on the road for an hour. And then you have a stress fracture in six weeks, or you've just destroyed your feet. And you can't run for three days, but like I do barefoot running. I'll just go run on the football field for 20 minutes after a run or before a run because it's good for me. But if I want to run volume and it's not going to be on grass, like you just choose the correct pr- protective equipment for, but I'm with you. I have never once recommended motion control shoes in my life to anyone. It's neutral all the way. Like cushioning, sure. Protect propulsive plate, sure. But don't try to tell your ankle how to roll through. Like, let's let's let that thing do its thing. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. But no, I it's it's a it's a topic that I didn't know if we'd want to get in because, for example, there was someone that I knew once who was pretty highly respected in the world, and he gave a presentation, and then he closed with a a pitch as to same kind of thing why your shoes are destroying you and then he went into why everyone should be in ultras everyone should be in zero drop wide shoes and and he lost me right there pretty much anytime someone says everyone must do blank you're in you're on a tenuous ground other than like everyone should not smoke cigarettes (laughs) everyone should not drunk like there are some things yeah obviously you shouldn't do but when you can just look at it from a logical standpoint, recognize it's a continuum and know that there's a difference between longevity and performance. Like you said, can you maximize your performance and burn out in two years? Yes. Or could you do it casually your whole life? Yes. And I think shoes are the same way. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Actually, it's kind of coincidental. I was working on this uh, this tweet uh, before we came on and I'm, you know, it's, uh, I, almost have a, I have a visual. So it's like, all right, poor diet, poor health. We're starting here. And then we have a line and then, okay, what's your, what's your goals in life? You know, are you trying to maximize health and longevity or are you trying to maximize your performance Mm -hmm. from a physical standpoint? Well, if you're trying to really go hard on each of those ends, you can't have both. It's going to, like you said, it's going to suffer. If you're going for health and longevity, you're, you know, trying to look at the the latest research on fasting and caloric right. restriction and you know protein intake that's going to look different than you know maximizing performance um and yeah you have to know what your goals are what your trade off is um and that would be specific to every person but if you're really trying to go hard on performance you're really taxing the body you know like uh, a major league pitcher mm-hmm. throwing hundreds of pitches uh, we're including warmups, you know, et cetera, once a week, maybe twice a week. They've been doing that for decades, most likely, if they made it to the, the major leagues. Um, that Throwing a baseball at that speed is terrible for your shoulder. You know, mm-hmm. like that's not something that your shoulder was designed to do. So if you're thinking about like the longevity and health of your shoulder, pitching has nowhere, you shouldn't be going anywhere around, you know, pitching, right? But right. um that person is all about performance. They're trying to perform at the highest level and they're going to do the things that they need to do to pitch at the highest level. Um, so yeah, I totally agree there. That's that's amazing. What do you got, Kirk? Movement vault? Is it time? I've Yeah, it is. I've never had this big of a delay. So uh, <laughs> Dr. Grayson is on real time and you're like five seconds delayed for me. It's the most bizarre thing. So like I have one of you on real time and you are, oh, you are five, at least five seconds behind. It's really bizarre. Um, 
Yeah, I want to just talk about Movement Vault real quick, and uh, let's wrap this baby up. So uh, tell us about it. Where can people find it? What can they expect it to provide for them? Um, and that good stuff. Yeah, so Movement Vault is essentially, you know, we've kind of touched on a few times. It's a better way to stretch fix and prevent pain and injury. And so essentially, like I've, you know, kind of been describing, we focus on active stretching, kind of as that example we went through before, stretching out a muscle or a joint, contracting the muscles. We've got, you know, thousands, hundreds and thousands of different variations for each joint, et cetera. So active stretching and muscle activation exercises, not static stretching, <laughs> as you learned at this point. And then we also throw in uh -huh. muscle and fascia release um, techniques as well in specific, uh, scenarios. So yeah, it's, it's basically, it's an app. Uh, we've got an iPhone app and then for Android users, we have a web app. We'll be releasing our, uh, Android app, um, in the coming months here. And essentially we've got a new daily, uh, stretching and mobility class every day, anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes long. Uh, we focus on different areas of the body for different days. So today might be a hip and an ankle day versus tomorrow might be a, a shoulder and upper back day. We might have a full body day after that. And so we kind of throughout the, the week and the month, you're going to hit every area of your body from your neck down to your toes. Um, and so that's how most of our users use it. We've got users in 40 different countries. Um, and we're, we're thankful and proud of that. Um, and so most people do that daily, you know, class every day or say three or four times a week, they open the app, get their, their mobility, their stretching on and kind of go about their day. But if say, say today's a shoulder and an upper back day and they, they're doing a run or they're doing some squats, then we've got a pretty advanced filtering system to filter out, um, you know, w whether it's a muscle, what equipment they have, uh, a joint they're, they're trying to work on squatting versus, you know, doing some upper body stuff. And so we've got 1500, diff 1500 plus different video classes to uh, choose from. And uh, we've got the daily classes, we've got uh, pre-workout, we've got recovery, which are a little bit more gentle, not static stretching per se, but uh, more gentle. We work on some breath work there. Um, like I said, we've got desk routines designed to uh, be performed at your desk. And then we have uh, full programs. So we We've got uh, pain and injury, injury programs such as our 16-week low back pain program, 12-week neck pain program, applicable to this uh, to your guys' audience, uh, eight-week plantar fasciitis program, and then we're also going to be launching specific goal and performance-based programs, not just um, pain and injury right now. So you know we've got golfers that use Movement Fault, and they're like, "Oh man, I love it. I would even love it even more if there was." you know, a package of a golf program. Um, so all this stuff is included in the app. It's, you know, it's free to try free for seven days. Um, I always tell people to try it. You'll literally be able to feel the difference in one session. We get that feedback all the time because it's a lot different than again, static stretching. And, um, yeah, after that, it's, it's, it's pretty cheap right now. It's 1499 a month, um, 119 for the year. And, um, yeah, we also, one thing I mentioned too, is we have a virtual mobility assessment within the app and that actually takes your body through 14 different, um, tests. So it would be analogous to you coming in to see me as a physical therapist. And once you finish that test, it takes about 10 minutes to do, you're going to get a total mobility score. So it's going to give you a score for kind of your overall mobility. And then it'll also give you a score for the five major joints in your body, like shoulders, hips, I like that. ankles. So yeah, that, that helps you hone in on, you know, where you want to focus a little bit more on, 
Um, so yeah, you guys can check it out, um, find out more information in general, movementvault.com. It's uh movement V A U L T.com or, um, the, uh, the app store. Well, I think you had a bunch of people sign up just now, just by mentioning planner fash. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, you know, plantar fasciitis is one of those things that, again, I, I, it seems generic that I'm saying most pain and injury can be avoided, but it's, it's a hundred percent true. And this is just, again, from, you know, being a, a doctor of physical therapy for a decade now and, and really parsing out what's working and what's not working again, mm-hmm. whether that's working one-on-one with people or it's looking at the research, combining both. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And plantar fasciitis, whether it's, you know, there is obviously some overuse uh, things that can happen. But if you optimize your foot mobility, ankle mobility, your chances of plantar fasciitis drop significantly. And we use mm-hmm. the same type of uh, strategies that I've used with my patients and active stretching, muscle activation exercises, you know, with some plant, uh, some muscle and fascia release techniques in the eight-week program. That one I think has 32 different workouts that progress over those eight weeks. Nice. And these are these are video routines. It's not just you get a PDF with hmm. you know three sets of eight reps of you know active big toe extension. So it's it's actually videos you're seeing through it. We really pride ourselves on attention to detail. Um, so like the cues that we give during the videos, um, we've got a lot of feedback that it's it's kind of it's it's really top notch if you know if i can pound my chest a little bit but yeah um we, we take pride in it so we're, we're happy to hear that feedback without getting too deep into it and mentioning competitors what is the separator the main differentiator between you and someone like uh uh it's not wad uh not what's it called my wad anymore what was it it's pliability ramwad ramwad but pliability i think is the name now what what sets you apart from that type of platform great question we get that uh quite a lot first of all we get <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't want to bad mouth, you know, any company or, or anything, but, um, I will say that we are a hundred percent more effective. Um, you know, we <laughs> don't want to bad mouth, but I'm going to say it. Yeah. Cause you know, again, <laughs> we've, I've taken a decade of really figuring out what works the best and then compiling it into a program. And not only if I give you say three effective, we'll just say movement fault, exercises. And again, we're in the, we're in the early stages of, this isn't just talk. We're actually about to do a a full length, um, static stretching versus movement fault, active stretches, randomized placebo, double blinded RCT study on, on this stuff. So that we're not just kind of anecdotally talking about this. We're, we're really doing it. Um, and so, you know, I haven't looked into pliability per se in a long time. Um, mm-hmm. but from last time I looked into it and I think this is what they're doing, they still do a lot of static stretching and there's, there's a couple other mobility apps. I'm not going to name the name stretching mm-hmm. apps, not going to name the name, but it's, they're getting back to static stretching or passive, um, passive techniques, whether that's just a passive joint mobilization using a band, um, that has its place per se, the, the joint mobilizations using a band. Um, are you going to improve your joint mobility stability with that? No, you're not. Um, but essentially the main differentiator between say that company or any company is, is really the, the preciseness of our active stretches and our muscle activation, uh, exercises, um, and kind of how we compile things. Cause to finish my thought before, if I gave you three of our exercises to do per se, right. They're already vetted. They're already, you know, the best thing, say, for your hip. 
you're you're off to a good start already because you know I move and fall has given given them to you. I've given them to you, but not only does the selection of the stretches matter, but the order in which you do them also matter. So if you say the best, say um, order for this particular sequence was A, B, and C, but you did this C, A, B, are you still going to get benefit? Yes, for sure. But are you going to get exponential benefit if you do them in the correct order? A hundred percent. And so that's that's basically the main differentiator. I don't want to kind of, I guess, you know, again, bad mouth and say they do this, they do that, et cetera. But um, it's it's active stretching, muscle activation exercises, and again, over a decade of of um, living, breathing, and this is this is our life. This is my life. This is our our team's life, and so mm-hmm. um, this is what we do. Okay, that's so, a good explanation. And really, at the end of the day, it's like result, results speak volumes. So we've had again, I'm not going to name any names here, but um, you name the app. We've had people DM us, send us messages all the different routes saying that they tried this app, this app, this app for three months, six months, two years. And then they finally heard about movement fault. They switched 30 days. They have more, um, they have more of a benefit. And hmm. yeah, you, I, I just suggest people, you know, give it a shot. Seven days. It's free. I'm not going to charge you. Uh, mm-hmm. check out all our testimonials, our, all our reviews. And, um, we're really passionate about helping people move better, feel better, prevent and fix pain and injury and perform better. You know, whether you're a runner or, you know, you're a, you're a parent, whatever you are, we can help you. Well, Dr. Wickham, our time is over. That was a nice conversation and we kept it for two hours. So thank you for that. What do we hit? Four bullet really, points? Uh, we did well. <laughs> yeah, but then we split hairs and that's the point. That's, right. that's what we like to do. So maybe there's um, part two in order. Again, so it would be movementvault.com or or Movement Vault on the App Store, and that's where people can start if they're curious. Um, and we appreciate your time. This has been amazing. Yeah, I'd love to um, you know delve into these topics again because there's so much confusion and and unfortunately um, without basically false information, you know, that's just continually perpetuated. So to have you know me on this podcast, your guys's platform, and to help get some good knowledge out there is is amazing. So hopefully the listeners uh, got some value out of that. And uh, this has been fun, guys. Awesome. Well, until next time, thank you. 